Um. Mm, what? Mm, 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 Who uh, are we? I hope I can read thing. today. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Listen up, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Death by Music Podcast. I am Jake. I'm here with Cassie and Alex. We got another great episode for you today that will end in death. So I guess it's still great. <laughs> or not. That that came out very wrong. I don't, Sorry. I don't know how else it would have come out. <laughs> yeah, Speaking of, I have an update. Well, something that came out wrong? Is no. It, is it about... <laughs> no. Is it about Nobody shit? called... It's about literal shit. Okay, so... Excellent. You know, the last time we recorded, it was for a Patreon episode, and we were talking about my mother mm-hmm. and how she would never... Did she... Okay. Uh-oh. You're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> because Alex and I, direct quote, said, she's never going to listen to this. She'd have to pay for it kind of thing. Right. I don't know if it's, direct, it's not a direct quote. I'm so- paraphrasing here. <laughs> so I'm on the phone with my mother, and she said, because she's retired now and has nothing to do... And was like, I was going to look up at your podcast so I could listen. And the inside of my stomach just dropped You're to like, my no. ass. And I was like, <laughs> so it is about things coming out. Yeah. So okay. I was like, I don't know. Like, it can be pretty vulgar. You know, I know how you feel about like language. Don't listen I don't to episode think... seven of so season I was, two. Yeah, I was offering. Maybe you would like. I don't know. Um, some of the the mini episodes because they're not as bad and like yes, they are worse. They're no, all about well, the like, Dave Matthews crew. one. I explained the Dave Matthews one and she was laughing and she was like the tour bus jumped shit on Chicago and I was like yes and she's like well that's funny and then she said shit on me Dave Matthews like she was Ew. requesting it and I was like first of all don't ask Dave Matthews to shit on you and also don't tell your daughter that that's fucking weird right and now so you know I was like why are you <laughs> no so I was like laughing and she was like well that's not bad that didn't involve any cursing I was like you literally said shit on me Dave Matthews how is yeah. that and she was like oh oops kind of thing she's like well that's not bad because like we'd have conversations like that over dinner and like because we have <laughs> not into that extreme but like we've made you know she she thinks like sexual jokes are funny so i was like well maybe there but was she didn't think some... the gay sex book was funny she, it wasn't that it was funny she just got confused and thought that's what her podcast was about so um, <laughs> so i was like well maybe it's just better for everyone that you don't listen because like my cousins were talking about listening to it and she's Ooh. like well if you you know i i just don't know just make sure they know that your last name is this now and not previously like my last name that i share with her what? so that she doesn't She's have like to be associated revoking me from the family and i was like all right okay sure maybe it's better if you don't okay. listen um so I don't know where she stands on that. I don't know if she's actually going to. Okay, well, if you are Cassie's mom, welcome to the podcast. Let's do this whole episode without cursing. Can you do it? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, but I will give it a good old college so try. Funny. Yeah. I think in the first paragraph I've written in a curse word already. So I don't I don't know. Um <laughs> I don't think I'll so. try. I skimmed it. It doesn't look like it. Okay, cool. Um, yes, so this is a podcast, and today we are covering Aaliyah, and this one was requested by a few people. Um, another plane crash one, after researching this one, I've just decided, like, I was about to say it, I was about to say the F word, (laughs) F airplanes, because this is our fourth airplane one. We just came off of Leonard Skinner, and Mm -hmm. before we did Buddy Holly and Patsy Cline, all plane crashes, and... You know, just like don't ever leave your house, basically. Um, (laughs) Okay, our sources. Wikipedia, of course. Aaliyah.com. Behindthename.com. We have... I got lazy and just copied and pasted the link, so good luck reading all of these. Okay, (laughs) classicfm.com. You can just read the... Slash composers, slash Schubert, slash Ave Marie. look. (laughs) Just read the website. That's Um, fine. There's an article on npr.org. Um... Oh my gosh. TampaBay.com had something. The boombox.com. PlanePhD.com had some stuff on the, the actual plane mm-hmm. specifications. Oh, and Jake then, got and all. Yep. He wrote an actual. Look at him phrase. getting all scientistic. <laughs> <laughs> 
ntsb.gov. Right. So when I started writing this, I was having so much trouble with her name, <laughs> spelling it because it's a different spelling that I think than other people have used for the for the name Aaliyah. And yeah. for a word that has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven letters, five of them are vowels, and I can't put them in the right order. But now I know how to spell Aaliyah. And I can I can write it without hesitation. Um, this episode was suggested by Elise out in Florida, as well as I think a, f- a few other people. If you don't know who Aaliyah is, she was huge in the late 90s, early 2000s, like R&B, hip hop and kind of pop scene. She yeah. was performing with the likes of Timbaland, Missy Elliott, um, wh- who's from here. What's up? Really? And seven five seven. Yeah, she's from Virginia Beach Ooh, or Norfolk. Norfolk, I guess. She yeah, has she's... a house out here. Yeah, oh, cool. So Aaliyah was nicknamed the Princess of R and B, and she is going to be one of the youngest people that we've covered on the podcast. She was only twenty two hmm. when her life was tragically cut short. Aaliyah Dana Houghton was born in Brooklyn, New York, on January sixteenth, nineteen seventy nine. Her name comes from the feminine version of the Arabic word Ali, which basically means the best. I did a little research on this. In Arabic, it's Aliyah with one A. Well, technically two A's, but one A at the beginning. <laughs> um, it also this name also shows up in Kazakh, Tatar, and Turkish with various spellings, hmm. all of which were different from the way she spells her name. Yeah. Uh, anyways, also, at this point, I'm realizing that Muhammad Ali shares a name with her. As Wikipedia states, it means high, elevated, or champion. I would go with champion there. I know. We're going to get into it a little bit later on, but there, when you said, like, greatest or the best, and I was, my brain immediately went to, like, the world's greatest the song. Best. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a song from R. Kelly called World's Greatest that was, like, really big in the early 2000s. Mm. And I was like, why is my brain immediately going to an R. Kelly song? Like, this should be problematic in itself. But it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll no, get there. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. according to Aaliyah's website, her parents decided the name based on high hopes and expectations that they would have or they... That they did that they have. had for her for a daughter. Mm-hmm. So she strove to was that even a word? Strived, strove. Strovey. I like strove. You can keep it, but <laughs> I don't fucking strove. Oh, I just cursed. Oops. I'm sorry. Um, she strove. Dollar in the jar to <laughs> live up to this name every day. She was always trying to actually be the best. her parents were diane who is a stay-at-home mom and also a singer and miguel who worked in warehouses diane put Aaliyah in vocal lessons early on and she started performing as a child at church and local events Aaliyah also had an older brother rashad and she was really close with him in fact her whole family was super close diane's brother barry hankerson he lived in detroit and then the family relocated there when Aaliyah was five miguel began her father began working with barry in the warehouse industry um the two were enrolled in catholic school she wrote that in all caps y'all everybody's why is everybody okay stop putting your kids in catholic school a lot of catholics we cover here i know it's weird yeah we're not picking them based on that I hope y'all know. Yeah. In first grade, Aaliyah was involved in a production of Annie, and the experience was so thrilling that she set her sights on becoming a singer. At school in Detroit, Aaliyah was teased for being short. It took her a while to hit her growth spurt, but she embraced her height, and she didn't pay attention to the kids who were talking shit. Good for her. Glad she figured that out early. Uh, I always got teased for being the small kid in class. Now I'm old and fat. But seriously, (laughs) though, that's... uh, That's how you have to handle it. You you have to ignore them uh, so they don't get a rise out of you. And eventually they just leave you alone. I'd also like to add that after high school, you really don't ever see those people again. Unless you go to your 10-year reunion. Well, that's intentional. Like, you can avoid them in public. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So she didn't pay attention to them. And honestly, I think they were just talking shit because she was like famous as a child at that point already (laughs) yeah so a quote from Aaliyah: she said you always have to deal with people who are jealous but there were so few it didn't even matter the majority of kids supported me which was wonderful and honestly these kids didn't like i said have a reason to be jealous Aaliyah was making moves she wasn't even a she wasn't even a teenager yet (laughs) that and she had talent and she knew what she wanted to do with her life you could ask people in their mid thirties, like, "Hey, what are you going to do with the rest of your life?" And they're like, "I don't know." They still don't know. So at that point in time, she already knew. I'm um, not. This you is made, not a no, dig at you. you. You made me think of the Twisted Sister video where the dad's like, "What are you going to do with your life?" And he's like, "I'm going to rock." 
Okay. And then he like busts his dad out the window. Isn't that definitely the the opening scene from Tenacious D too, where he's like, yeah. Jack Black's dad is yelling at him. Yeah, it's yeah, basically it's the same parallels exact. that yeah. video. <laughs> I want to rock. Yeah. It's a good video. You got to watch that. Um, put it on the playlist. Just kidding. Barry it would not fit in. It would not. <laughs> Okay, Barry Hankerson, Aaliyah's uncle, who did the warehouse guy. Um, he also happened to be did in what? <laughs> he did the warehouse. <laughs> he did the he, he did, did the warehouse, warehouse guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, he did warehouse things. <laughs> um, he also happened to be an enter an entertainment lawyer and the husband of seven-time Grammy Award winner and soul singer Gladys Knight. Aaliyah got an up close and personal experience with audition auditioning in the industry when she was traveling with Gladys Knight as a child. Aaliyah appeared on Star Search at the young age of 10 and decided that she wanted to continue with auditions with record labels. Gladys even let her sing at concerts when Aaliyah was just 11 years old. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, It only takes structure. And, and you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah, know what I mean. So, do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm, trying, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, me, me. Yo, look, 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 look. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie, don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit. I remember watching Star Search back when I wore Anger Man's clothes. Billy Joel reference. What? I thought you said Anger Man's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you not still angry? <laughs> I'm always angry. Apparently, Aaliyah is up there with other celebrity contestants like Beyonce, Britney, and Justin Timberlake. Uh, the funny thing is, I may have actually seen their performances when they were new and had absolutely no idea because they're a bunch of little yeah, jerk-ass kids. I didn't kids. know they were yeah. all on Star Search. Yeah, they were. Uh, I think, I think That might have been before Britney, Britney and Justin were on Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse Club. They, yeah. Yeah. I think that might have been before that. Whoa, I didn't know Beyonce was on that. I didn't either, not until I started looking this up. Uh, huh. Anyways, I watched that performance on YouTube and Aaliyah pretty much nailed it. Um, I think her vocals were much better than the other girls. Um, I looked up the other girl, uh, Katrina Abrams, but there wasn't much of anything except Star Search videos, so I guess she never really made it big. Hmm. So, okay, so it's like a competition. Yeah, it's like yeah. American Idol, but... Or like America's Got Talent. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, she most w- everybody was singing. Yeah, she went up against Katrina Abrams, who had won like, I think, six previous rounds. Oh, so okay. So she was working away the out of the water and was like bye katrina yeah i mean basically Aaliyah was incredible she had a 4.0 gpa she was accepted to the detroit high school for fine and performing <laughs> arts you did preface this with you hope you could read today so uh, yes um after an italian she did an italian language audition performance of ave maria hey boppity boopy <laughs> i was waiting to hear that because i saw it written in and i was like how is he going to pronounce this <laughs> This is literally what Jake wrote here. A a boppity boopy makes Italian hand gestures the audience can't see. (laughs) And he did them. That's why I I said we should do a live stream of this us recording so you can see that. No, because they can't see Jake. He'll put the bag on his head. He's already said there's a top hat ready. I'll make a new one for the mic. Did you make the top hat? No, not yet. So... Since we have some listeners that are into music history, I figured I'd throw some knowledge at you. Um, Ave Maria, where did it come from, you ask? Well, despite being a popular tune, composer Franz Schubert actually didn't write it as Ave Maria. The song was called Ellen's Ditter Gesang. I'm not German, so don't come at me. Uh, it translates to Ellen's third song. So written in 1825 to the words of Sir Walter Scott's epic poem, Lady of the or Lady in the Lake. Um, so the song contains the word Ave Maria but only in reference to the Catholic prayer itself. The modern day versions of the song have actually been performed and recorded by numerous artists with the lyrics a little different from the original poem. Um, Speaking of Mm -hmm. the Catholic prayer, when we were at Catholic school, we had to say that, you know, Hail Mary and Our Father and all this shit Mm -hmm. stuff um, (laughs) every morning. And I, no one 
told me what the words were and i swore they were saying hail mary full of grapes I was like, what? Somebody explain. It's wine. <laughs> yeah, it's full of wine. It's full of wine. Same. <laughs> but yeah, that's a tough song. It's no understatement to call Aaliyah a perfectionist. Even though she was auditioning as a high schooler, she was still able to manage keeping her grades up through all of the traveling. And, you know, she didn't have like a normal childhood she knew the importance of having an education to fall back on which was very wise for her age so if singing didn't work out for her as a career she had plans to teach music history or open up a school for singing or drama okay so now Aaliyah is 12 and guess what she gets a pony no oh close a record deal hooray better we're not horse girls (laughs) yeah this was with her uncle hankerson's label blackground records R. Kelly became Aaliyah's mentor. Yikes. Yeah. And produced her first album. She was only 14 when it was released on May 24th, 1994. The album was called Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. Her first single back and forth was a top five hit on the Billboard Hot 100 and a number one R&B song with the follow up single being a remake of the Isley Brothers At Your Best You Are Love. It reached top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 and was number two at R&B Radio. Um, Aaliyah stated she was, or we're not going to, okay. Aaliyah stated, I still remember how nervous I was right before back and forth came out. I kept wondering if people would accept it when it went gold. I had my answer and it was just an incredibly satisfying feeling. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is insane. She's 14. She, yeah, she's a child. <laughs> she hit number 24 on the Billboard 200 albums chart in the first week. She was younger than Whitney Houston, who was 19 when she got signed. Wow. Uh, even then, Whitney didn't even uh, get her first album until she was 22. Yeah. So there was a big like gap there that we're sticking her onto singles with other people doing stuff with other people right wild yeah it ended up selling over three million copies and it went double platinum so reviews were pretty good critics liked her she did new jack swing style um if you listen to the left eye episode um with tlc similar similar to that so um they liked Aaliyah's silky voice and um, on top of R. Kelly's beats, critics described her with hugely inappropriate <laughs> terms like slyly seductive and sultry, which she's 14 years old. Yeah. Like, can't you just say you like her voice? I don't know. It I was, wonder if I was, they realized. I don't know, dude. I mean, I was reading these things and I was like, why are they making like sexual... Um, I don't know reviews like why do you have to say that she's being seductive she's 14 like just say you like her voice I don't know because she's now considered a woman in the music industry and that's all any woman wants out of anything in life obviously and I say this with hard sarcasm (laughs) please (laughs) please don't think I'm being serious all I want to do is be sultry Mm -hmm. yeah I'm sure sure old Bobbert Kelly didn't have anything to do with this (laughs) no 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 he could never you Mm. wait Um, yeah so the creepily titled song for which the album references age ain't nothing but a number peaked at number 75 interestingly enough this song was written by none other than r kelly and is about a younger girl wanting to date an older dude listening to the album i'd expect it to have been performed by someone in their early 20s not a 13 year old yeah um yeah. to me it's just as inappropriate now as it should have been 27 years yeah, ago like what the hell <laughs> yeah it, uh, i don't know i just i wonder if people didn't realize how old she was when it came out I think that has to be it because it's similar to how Billie Eilish kind of blew up Mm -hmm. that she had this really powerful voice and the songs were so like they were deep and it was she was 14, 15 when she was writing these things. It's like, how do you have such this wide view of the world and to sound this good and to know so much as a 14 year old? But then they were like, wait, she's only 14. So I feel like it's a very similar Mm -hmm. circumstance after the song's release and kind of poor performance, it came out that a 15-year-old Leah had married 27-year-old R. Kelly. And, and by, I, I should phrase that differently. A 27-year-old R. Kelly married a, 15. a 15-year-old Leah. <laughs> Do you think the song might have been a way of trying to convince other people that they felt their relationship was fine despite the age difference? He, he that he felt their relationship oh, yes. was fine. He was trying to justify it, mm-hmm. I'm right. sure. He wrote the song, he gave it to a child to perform, and all he's ever been doing is trying to make himself seem acceptable and not like a pedophile. Yeah. 
Rumors circulated after a marriage certificate was unveiled. Apparently, Aaliyah's parents had no idea that they were married on August 31st, 1994. Surprise. In an illegal ceremony in Illinois. So where the hell have they been this whole time? Like, I would have been watching my 13-year-old daughter like a hawk and certainly wouldn't have allowed her to make an album like that. Like, that album is... I, I got through like half of it and I'm like, I can't listen to this because I know how old she is. Yeah. And it was just kind of gross at that point. I, I don't know. I, I kind of wonder like it, what their opinion was. Probably not that great. Um, I feel like too, and I said it a little later on because I feel like Jake asked this question like six I, times. I did. I was like, where the fuck are yeah, parents? So I, you know, her uncle was in the industry, so they probably thought he had a, a, an eye on her at least. Or if, you know, if Gladys Knight was in the picture, if right. they thought like, oh, they're never going to do anything like that. And then that album comes out. I don't know. There was not really a, a reaction I could find from the parents. But like, yeah. obviously, if I did something like this, my mother would have never allowed it. So yeah no uh, no <laughs> Aliyah's parents were able to successfully annul the marriage on in february of 1995 the certificate listed her as being 18 years old which huh. r kelly claims is what she told him too so he's like oh i didn't know she was only 18 when i wrote a song for her called ages yeah, nothing right. but a number or whatever like fucking liar mm-hmm. um he was like i swear she said she was 18 like Okay. R. Kelly's tour manager, Demetrius Smith, said in a 2008 interview that he had helped obtain a fake ID for Aaliyah so that she could legally get married. Yeah. Smith repeated his assertion during an on-screen interview in the Lifetime docuseries. You might have seen it. It's called Surviving R. Kelly, stating he obtained the ID on Aaliyah's behalf. R. Kelly and his inner circle had bribed a public official in Illinois to create a fake ID. (laughs) Did I say Illinois? (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um you know, enunciation. <laughs> um, they bribed a public official in Illinois to create this fake ID for Jane Doe number one. So I guess they just added in her information afterwards. Yeah. I, I um, this wasn't clear, but the internet holds all. So there is a marriage certificate floating around. Mm. And in a good morning America interview that aired right before the special was released that, you know, surviving R. Kelly, Kelly's lawyer, Steve Greenberg essentially shrugged off the controversy by stating Kelly was married to her when she was, or wait, Kelly was married to her when she was 15. Elvis was married to Priscilla with like the shrug. That was still not the okay shrug though. Yeah, no, no one liked that either, that was dude. still creepy. So Aaliyah did not claim to be 15. So in order to get married, she had to lie about her age. So I can claim any age in the name of love, I guess, if you think that's love, whatever. So Greenberg <laughs> had added that Kelly had no idea of Aaliyah's true age when they wed, Bull. which I call... Yeah, bullshit. And here is here is that right footage surfaced later in 2019 of R. Kelly saying that Aaliyah was 14 years old, and this happened the year before their marriage took place. So he said it on video, like, "Oh yeah, Aaliyah's 14." So he knew, and yeah. he lied obviously because Aaliyah was not actually 18. Uh, the marriage was deemed illegal because she could not sign without consent of her parents, which they obviously did not have. Um, so the two claimed that they were just friends and not married. Aaliyah said that they'd watch movies and go out to eat together and that they'd come back and work. Um, she did say that they were very close, whatever that means. So R. Kelly said that um, he was in love with her as he, he was as in love with her as he was with anybody else. But what does that even mean? What? Okay. Um, sounds like he's so just he's trying not to... not in love with her? Because <laughs> he doesn't just love like, everybody? What are you even saying? He doesn't know. Sounds like he's just trying to play it off. I mean, they were both acting like people took their relationship the wrong way, but they literally had, like, a marriage certificate, and right. he got her fake ID. Like, no what one's is taking it the wrong, wrong way. Yeah. Like, that's... We know what you're doing. Yeah. And so, while we don't know for sure if there was any inappropriate sexual contact, Demetrius Smith, the guy who got the ID, wrote in his memoir that R. Kelly once nearly broke into tears talking to him saying that he thought Aaliyah was pregnant Chris Hansen somebody please chime in <laughs> was that that's a, to catch a predator yeah <laughs> uh Jamie Foster Brown the publisher of Sister to Sister magazine recalled R. Kelly saying his relationship with Aaliyah was magic he also heard Kelly mention um that he may have gotten her pregnant and Ugh. that she'd come and go from his house like all the time everyone at the label kept saying that it was platonic but maybe that's what they would say um but it was definitely inappropriate for her to be in a studio with a bunch of men as a 15 year old girl yes and where the fuck were her parents yeah again if you have family in the industry that you think is taking care of them i guess that's an overlook or an oversight on their part but like again just parents be aware of what your children are doing (laughs) yeah dude 
Um, so Javante Cunningham, who was a backup dancer, revealed in that show Surviving R. Kelly, Javante had come onto R. Kelly's tour bus and she fucking saw him having sex with Aaliyah. I watched the first episode of that. I thought it was like a hour and a half long documentary, but it's like a five or six part miniseries. Oh, what, wow. Is it on Netflix? Ooh, where did I watch it's it? It's probably on yes. YouTube too. Netflix? They were all traveling on this bus together. They were, I guess they were on tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can imagine it, the bus has like bunks on either side. Then okay. they're stacked up. The ones with the little curtains that you, you open and close. Oh, yeah. So if that's... you watch Rock of Love bus, um, <laughs> it's kind of like that. But yeah, anyways, that's what the bus so was. It had had bus. the bunk set up and whatnot. Uh, so Cunningham didn't go into much detail. But they were going to go play a prank, but when the door swung open to what I'm guessing would be the master bedroom mm-hmm. at the back of the bus, uh, that's when they saw it happening. So, I mean, this is a bus full of young teenage girls. Like, these girls weren't any older than Aaliyah was. God. Uh, and they're all on tour with this guy. So gross. Mad. Yeah, it's... Ugh. So poor Aaliyah, she was manipulated and groomed by this grown ass man. And there were adults, you know, surrounding her like Demetrius Smith that just stood by and let it happen. They even helped. Um, This guy later did say that he wasn't proud of his role in the whole thing. So he had a role. Yeah, (laughs) it's gross. It really is. And what's ironic is that as female society teaches us from like a very young age that whether it's like toy cooking sets or Mm -hmm. makeup that like your role in society is to look good and do things for men. Right. So it's not for yourself. It's not finding your own inner beauty. Like the minute a female is in the limelight and is successful, regardless of age, she's like hypersexualized. Yeah. Why, why is, why is this not being something being done about this? Why are there not advocates in this industry? Right. That can help young females attain this. Like obviously she should have had publicists or somebody there as like an assistant watching out for her. Right. I, yeah, I don't understand she's a it. Child. Okay, so after all of this BS, Aaliyah rightly left Jive Records in Mm -hmm. 1996. Um, She went over to Atlantic and started working with Timbaland Timbaland and Missy Elliott, both of whom were a bit nervous to work with her. She She was already successful, and they were just kind of like starting up, so they were kind of worried she might be a diva. It ended up being completely false. They came out with several successful singles. If your girl only knew, Hot Like Fire and Four Page Letter, Timbaland decided to collaborate with her on his single Up Jumps the Boogie with Magoo for Aaliyah's second album, One in a Million. Um, I looked up the song on YouTube just to see if I could remember what it was, and I have no recollection of this song ever existing, but Aaliyah (laughs) looks fire. Like, she is such a gorgeous woman, and her outfits in this video, I was like, she's so pretty. I love her. Yeah. Anyways, um, the Timbaland and Magoo album that she was featured on, it did really well. It sold 8 million copies worldwide. But right before before it was released, Aaliyah was hit with even more trouble. Windswept Pacific, a music publisher, sued Aaliyah for the song Age Ain't Nothing But a Number, as if she didn't already have enough BS from this song, uh, because apparently it was like an illegal copy of Bobby Caldwell's what you won't do for love and i'm sure it took them a little while to catch this because who the fuck is bobby caldwell and his song is from 1978 but (laughs) eventually somebody like figured it out and i'm gonna be honest i hadn't heard either one of the songs but i gave it a listen and and you should too the music structures are the same the vocal melodies are different but i actually prefer bobby's song better not to mention that it is also not about statutory rape sure. so i don't know if you guys got yeah i looked it up so it's it wasn't about how the song sounded it contained what or it contain contained <laughs> wow um it contained a lyrical interpolation which is just a nice term for plagiarism let's be honest so from the song what you won't do for love bob by bobby caldwell um apparently both songs feature the line got a thing for you and i can't let go so windswept what? yeah like that specific line um and that's the music publisher which was windswept pacific slapped them with a good old lawsuit for copyright infringement what the i didn't what i i mean we can't say words now like it's not like that specific phrase was like trademarked but i guess because it was the exact verbiage then they were like no 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 no. did you listen to the songs though because they have the same like the way that they're singing is different but the actual like intro and the musical whatever is the same well then maybe they followed up with that but it was specifically for that line that's so stupid yeah (laughs) yeah i I tried to line up Aaliyah's music video on youtube with caldwell's song on spotify because i'm an idiot 
and that stuff doesn't work. I'm sitting there clicking between screens, like trying to get this stuff to line up. Um, anyways, uh, I gave up on that and I went to look for a comparison video. Couldn't find one. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have time to teach myself how to use, you know, rip music and use editing software so I could do that myself. Just listen to it. Yeah. What are you talking about? I was trying to line, like I wanted to hear them lined up and playing at the exact same time so I could listen for differences. See, what you could have done is put one at 10 seconds and then play the other and then hit play once it gets 10 seconds. That's you know what I mean? Kind of what I was trying to do, but even still. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> just um, fucking listen to yeah. it. I, I found the line, the specific line that they were talking about. The mm-hmm. uh, got a thing for you and I can't let go. And I, I flip between the videos and listen to them. They're sung almost identically in the, in the exact same manner. So I guess that's something you could latch on to for copyright, but yeah, it, but it seems very thin. I feel like that happens in songs all the time where people make a reference to a previous song and they say the same line or whatever, but it's like, yeah, a, it's it, like a, it seems like a very big stretch. So now at the same time that all of this is going on, keep in mind that Aaliyah is still in school at the Detroit fine and performing arts place. Uh, I didn't even realize she was in school at this point. Could you imagine going through all of this and like your life changing? And then you have homework. Um, yeah. You have homework to do. Like I, she was already in the industry. Did she think she just needed more credit? I mean, I know you said that she wanted something to fall back on, but at the same time, like, dang. A kid, so you still have to go to school, even, you know, like all those uh, child actors and whatnot. They still have to go to school. She's like 15. So she majored in drama. And like we mentioned earlier, Aaliyah had a perfect GPA. Wondering why she didn't major in music, though. Um, But Aaliyah was, you know, she's one of the only people ever to put her drama degree to good use. She actually started her acting career right after graduating in 1997. Much like Whitney Houston, her first role was one where she played herself in a cop show called New York Undercover. So not only is she a successful musician and an actress, she also snagged a Tommy Hilfiger endorsement, helping the company sell thousands of pairs of red and blue jeans. You may have seen the photos. It's it's iconic. It's a look. Yeah. I, I don't recall seeing this at all. <laughs> that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. <laughs> you were listening to Metallica. Yeah. So. No, not back then. This would have been mid 90s yeah. oh yeah you weren't mm-hmm. allowed to listen to metallica you were i didn't even know they Aerosmith. existed at that point I, I, yeah this was pre-metallica days but i don't remember that picture at all oh did so, you look it up i did look it up and i was like i don't remember this oh that's like the the only way that i like when i picture Leah in my head it's this tommy helfiger yeah ad campaign <laughs> yeah no idea but yeah, I mean, it's also a good Halloween costume if anybody's like trying to think of what they want to do. The <laughs> jeans have one blue leg and one red leg. Um, and like I said, this is always how I picture Aaliyah in my head. I mean, can we talk about this look coming back, though? Because there's this right. weird trend right now between it's like 70s, 80s and 90s. All of it's coming back at once. Yeah. <laughs> on the Internet, which is fine. Uh, her fashion sense always influenced other artists and fans and teen teen vogue actually wrote an article that Aaliyah had set the prototype for the young female artist of the 90s which i mean that's high praise mm-hmm. her trademark baggy pants and oversized shirts reflected the same sense of style she had as a kid because she was always in her dad or brother's clothes she told people she'd never wear a dress or carry a purse too billy eilish oh yeah fair. it's back <laughs> <laughs> So she started picking up all kinds of performances, including performing at the Christmas in Washington holiday special. She was doing benefit concerts and performed a song called Journey to the Past for the animated Anastasia movie, which is not a Disney movie. Right. I always thought it was. No, this performance got the songwriters a nomination for an Academy Award. So she performed it at the award ceremony which made her the youngest person ever to perform at the Academy Awards. She also got a song on Dr. Doolittle, Are You That Somebody? And this one got her a Grammy nomination. I love this song, but I did not realize it was from the soundtrack of that movie. Yeah. Um, I have vivid memories of trying to imitate the baby noises <laughs> from the song. <laughs> Anyone else? Just me? Okay. Yeah, just So, you. of course, because I was like, what did they even use for this baby? Because we talked about in the David Bowie episode, it was literally him just making those noises. So I was like, who was it? Yeah. So, the song was performed by Aaliyah, obviously, but it was co-written and composed by Static Major, who sang backing vocals, as well as Timbaland, who produced and performed as a guest rap for the track. The song sampled the sound of a baby cooing from producer <laughs> Jack Holzman's 1966 track called Happy Baby Ew. from the Authentic Sound Effects album, Volume 8, which was an entire album of strange noises. It's really funny. They had like electric what? shaver and overstuffed closet, refrigerator door. <laughs> the list was so funny that I got really 
confused that it said electric toothbrush. In 1966, they had electric toothbrushes. Huh. Were they plugged into the wall? They must, like, yeah, they must have been. <laughs> so essentially, this is what producers had to do to work with that, you know, those albums and rip them from there. Instead of just getting like samples or like loops off the internet, they had to go find an album and like, I like this one piece of song. Let me use it here. And weird. That's funny to me. Did it mention anything about the mouth noises in the song? Ugh. It's like a beatboxing, but it's just wet mouth oh sounds. Oh god! It's, it's gonna, like, I know you're gonna do it. I'm taking off my. Headphones. It's probably just that? beatboxing. <laughs> no. I didn't look that up because I was probably trying to like subconsciously block that noise out. Of no, my anybody ears. with a good sound system or headphones, go and listen to it and yeah, tell well. me I'm wrong because that's exactly what I hear in the background. <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> and I also remember not being a fan of the baby noises, even though it wasn't crying or being obnoxious. Which always irritates any, the shit out of me. Yeah, don't bring your children to shut the fuck up, baby. Yeah. That, every time I hear that song, I'm like, oh god, no. Aaliyah got her next <laughs> acting role in a movie, Romeo Must Die. She starred with Jet Li. Basically, it's Romeo and Juliet where they fall in love and their families hate each other. I know of this movie and remember it being all over the place, but I've never seen it. I'm half tempted to finally watch it, but I fucking hate Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot stand him. Even that, what was that one with, uh, uh, oh crap. Leonardo DiCaprio. That one is great. Mm. That film is wonderful. No. First of Isn't all. Isn't it a musical? No. no. It's just the play. It's like it's set in modern times, but oh, they're still but speaking. They talk, in, yes. They're still speaking I tried to watch it and I was like, bro. Yeah. It's I just, can't. they have guns now. So. It's so, <laughs> they had guns in the movie. That's what he said. Yeah. That's what I'm oh. saying. They had it's guns like in the Shakespeare movie. with guns. Yeah. <laughs> It was good. They, the film itself, you could, okay, because Shakespearean language is hard, but even though they're doing that language, their actions help the story along. Like, you know what they're saying based on how they're acting versus just like, it's basically watching like a foreign film with no subtitles. Cheesy. Okay. Cheesy. (laughs) Yeah. You want to see a family feud? I recommend (laughs) the Hatfields and McCoy's miniseries with Kevin Costner. There's a little bit of Romeo and Juliet thing in there, except they're not stupid and kill themselves. Yeah. So this film um, was pretty, it's pretty damn big. It got to number two at the box office right off the bat. Not only did Aaliyah star in the film, she produced the film's soundtrack and contributed four songs. Aaliyah broke a record on the Billboard Hot 100 with Try Again. Um, she became the first artist to top the chart based only on airplay. So is it normally based on sales? Either way, she won some MTV VMA awards and also got a Grammy nomination for her performance. All right. So as far as the Hot 100, it is ranked by radio airplay audience impressions as measured Mm. by Nielsen BDS sales. It is data compiled by by Nielsen SoundScan, both retail and digitally, and streaming activity provided by online music stores. However, we do have to consider that streaming was not a thing in the 90s. So before this technology was invented, which was way more interesting, um, Billboard tracked sales by calling record stores across the U.S. and asking directly about specific albums sales which is like baffling to me just something i've never considered because i guess you know retailers do have an inventory system so i guess it makes the information a little easier to come by but i was just like people could just lie so this method obviously was error prone and open to fraud if you worked at a record store and a band you liked put out an album and someone called you like hey we're from nielsen like how many albums do you sell you're like all of them 10 million and like just raise their rating on the billboard so they're like we can't do this anymore weird okay (laughs) So here is Aaliyah's big role. At age 22, she starred in Queen of the Damned, playing mm. an ancient vampire named Queen Akasha. It is based off the Anne Rice books. I remember this film being released, but don't hate me because I've never seen it. But the film received generally negative reviews from critics, but was a moderate box office success. Yeah, again, same thing. Knew of it. Seen it all over the place. Uh, never watched it. But fun fact, Jonathan Davis from Korn and Richard Gibbs wrote and performed many of the songs on the movie soundtrack. But due to contractual obligations, Davis couldn't sing in them. So instead, he got Wayne Static of Static X and Chester Bennington of Linkin Park, amongst others, to to do the, uh, the vocals for the songs. Um, I think we'll be doing episodes on uh, both of those guys yep. uh, at some point. Anyways, also, Aaliyah was open to doing a collaboration with Davis, but of course that never materialized. That would have been wild. That would have been neat, yeah. So she was working on another self-titled album, but these huge acting roles caused the album's production to be pushed off. And unfortunately, Timbaland was also busy at the time overseas, so they didn't get to give her third album as much attention as they had hoped. Uh, they planned to release... Aaliyah, the album in October of 2000, but it got pushed off until nearly a year later. 
and was released on July 17th of 2001. And despite the five-year break since her previous album, Aaliyah debuted at number two and yielded the single We Need a Resolution. So it was it was getting to be time for a second single come mid-August, but the label was in arguments with Aaliyah about which song that would be. The song Rock the Boat almost didn't happen. As the producer almost, yeah, he just almost deleted the whole file. What? Not accidentally. Um, he just didn't like what he was hearing. Yeah. Don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat, baby. Not that one. Rock the boat. It's not that one. Oh, all right. Never mind. Sorry. I like her performance, though. That was, I did a little dance. He did a little dig. <laughs> Jake wins <laughs> my <a> star search. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Seats, uh, the producer, he had his headphones on. And another songwriter who Cassie mentioned earlier, Static Major, he heard the song through this other guy's headphones and he wrote a whole ass hook in like a second. And so <laughs> while Seats was about to hit the delete button, they just kind of started like vibing to it and he decided to keep the file because it's Static Major liked it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so the song would become the second single from Aaliyah's new album, and it was it was a good idea to keep it. The radio stations were already playing it, although they hadn't officially released it as a single or even shot a video for it yet. Aaliyah loved the song, and she pushed for it to be the next single, so they decided to fly out to the Bahamas and shoot a video. Okay, so they had 60 people working on the music video. They were first shooting some underwater scenes in Miami on August 22nd. And then on the 23rd, they hopped over to the Bahamas on two planes and filmed some more scenes. So that shoot was four days. Everyone was in a good mood and they, they all felt like they were having a great shoot. The video is on YouTube so you can you know watch it yourself. She's got a whole crew of girls while they're on the front end of a charter boat dancing to the song in a very synchronized 90s fashion. Nice. I'm on a boat, motherfucker. Don't you ever forget. <laughs> Flippy flabbish. Are we going to put that song on the playlist? Lonely <laughs> Island always gets on the playlist. Yes. Anyways, I've been to the Bahamas. All I could think of while watching the dance uh, dancing on the boat was how hot it must have been. No, they're not. They're in all white. So it might have been cooler because they're in all white, but I don't know if it was after Labor Day. This is a terrible joke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Aaliyah finished her parts up early um, (laughs) shooting the video. So she planned to fly home a day before the rest of the crew with her entourage so she was like yeah we're done so let's let's get out of here and she brought like all of her closest people including her makeup artist hairstylist close friends her bodyguard etc they headed to the marsh harbor airport for a return flight to Apalaka airport in florida um yeah and they were supposed to take a twin engine cessna for 02B plane, which was smaller than their initial plane that they came over on. Okay. Um, it showed up to the airport nearly two hours late, so they're getting irritated. The plane was built for seven passengers max. They had eight, and this is in addition to all of the equipment and luggage that they yeah. were bringing with them. So the pilot was getting kind of like pissed off because he was like, "Hey, look, we're going to be overweight." Um, but they got into like an argument with the entourage, and they were like, "Look, we." chartered this plane you're gonna fly it we have to get back to miami so they were able to fit themselves and all of their equipment and, and luggage on so he just was like okay whatever mm-hmm. uh it said they arrived in a cessna 404 with which was a 10 passenger plane powered by two turbocharged piston engines so base it's a small oh. it's a small prop plane hmm. um which is the bigger brother to the 402b which they uh boarded also the last thing i want to hear the pilot telling me is like I guess we can fit. Like, like, yeah. sure. What? If, if it all fits. If it fits, or sits, if it fits. <laughs> if, if I fits, I sit. Yeah. Um, so usually in our plane crash stories, the error is on the part of the pilot. Now, this pilot, Luis Morales III, he actually seemed to know what he was talking about, at least as far as the weight, but we'll get into the rest of it later. So, like I said, he was heard arguing with passengers about the weight of all of their items. He knew it was overloaded, but they kept arguing with him because they paid for this plane and they needed to get home, I guess. So, who knows why he decided to go against his better judgment. This is literally a life or death decision. Come on. Yeah. Morales also had trouble starting one of the engines before takeoff, according to another charter pilot, Lewis Key. It was a tragic and very short flight. The plane took off and it crashed 200 feet from the runway, mm. um, ultimately nosediving, breaking into pieces and bursting into flames. 
The nine occupants included Aaliyah, the pilot, Eric Foreman, Anthony Dodd, Scott Gallen, Keith Wallace, Christopher Maldonado, Douglas Kratz, and Gina Smith, and all of them were killed. The security guard, Scott Gallen, seems to have initially survived the crash, but he died shortly after, according to paramedics. Okay, so right here, I want to go ahead and pause because after we recorded this episode and right before publishing, it came out that maybe Aaliyah had taken a sleeping pill and was carried to the plane before the crash happened. So this is an article by Ben Cost from the New York Post, and I'm just going to read it to you guys and give you my thoughts. Obviously, it's a little bit too late to get everybody's, but I wanted to include it anyways. Okay. According to a bombshell new book on her life, R&B singer, actress, singer and actress Aaliyah didn't want to board the flight that cost the rising star her life. After remaining silent for decades, an eyewitness has alleged that the singer was given a sleeping pill and carried unconscious onto the suspect aircraft before her fatal 2001 crash in the Bahamas. The shocking allegation was dropped in a new biography, Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah, by music journalist Kathy Iandoli. They took her out of the van. She didn't even know she was getting boarded on a plane, stated Kingsley Russell, who is currently 33, who was with Aaliyah just before the fateful flight. She went on the airplane to sleep. The then 13-year-old Russell, whose family ran a taxi company in the Abaco Islands, was in the cab as his mom drove the five-time Grammy winner and her team to the airport for their return flight to Miami. The 22-year-old Aaliyah had just wrapped shooting the music video, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Um, Aaliyah, who was an anxious flyer, allegedly had reservations about boarding the aircraft after learning that it was overweight. The pilot had reportedly explained that the aircraft would be too cumbersome with eight passengers, including Aaliyah's 300-pound bodyguard, as well as their bags and cameras. She grew even more flustered when they arrived at the airport and spotted the small plane, claiming she had a headache. She fell asleep in the cab while her team sorted out the mess. According to Russell, a little while later, the Hip Hoppers crew returned to see what was amiss, whereupon she reiterated her concerns. Russell claimed that at this point, one of her team handed her a sleeping pill, causing her to fall in a deep sleep, after which they carried an unconscious Aaliyah onto the plane. Okay, so here are my thoughts on this. First of all, this kid is 13 years old, um, and there were a bunch of people there. How come nobody else saw this happen? Why are you only... I mean, obviously, when you come out 20 years after the fact claiming something like this, people are going to ask you, why now? Why didn't you say something sooner? Or I don't know, but he was 13 years old. Like, why did he see this happening and nobody else who was on the scene saw it? Because there was the other pilot there, which um, if we haven't gotten to yet, we will get to at this point in the episode. And um, also, it wouldn't have really mattered, you know, it wouldn't have mattered if she took a sleeping pill or not. Because the plane still went down. Somebody was still fighting for them to get on the plane, and they did. So it still would have gone down whether or not she was sleeping. Also, kind of weird to take a sleeping pill when the flight is only 30 minutes long. It's also kind of weird to take a sleeping pill when it's only 6 p.m. for a 30-minute flight when you're going to Miami. Aren't you going to, like, they wanted to get to Miami a day earlier, I'm assuming, to party. So why would you take a sleeping pill just because you're anxious um, for a 30-minute flight? I don't know. It just doesn't necessarily add up in my opinion, but that's what this dude is claiming has happened. And now you have that bit of information. Let's get back to the original episode. Um, two reasons for the crash were cited. Engine failure and overloading. Don't fuck with airplanes. Um, they had engine trouble starting up and now expecting it to keep an overweight plane in the air like it's not worth it yeah the engine failed immediately after liftoff i guess it's not that hard to believe that something so like minute can cause that type of problem especially knowing like a pilot who is trained and knows these things yeah. should know but if someone said that to me about a major airline not being able to fly because of one extra person i like might not believe it either but this was like a private it's a small plane and it was a small plane yeah. So I have been on flights that have been kind of oversold and they're like literally begging people before you board, like, please, somebody take a different ticket. And like they will send luggage out on another plane that's going to the same airport because they don't want to overload the plane. Oof. So like the fact that this guy was just like, ah, shit. Yeah, because like what we'll learn in this story is the weight distribution is very fucking important. Yeah. 
Um, witnesses reported seeing the plane crash with such intensity that it just basically disintegrated like it just fucking exploded yeah bodies were allegedly unidentifiable but two passengers were heard screaming while their flesh burned Mm. lewis key who was the other charter pilot not on that flight he was working nearby and saw the crash initiated only 60 to 100 feet off of the ground so they were not high up at all they were barely off the runway yeah Um, He called it one of the worst and most devastating crashes that he'd ever seen, with the plane torn to shreds and seats ripped from the aircraft. Uh, The passengers' remains were taken to a funeral home in Nassau. Aaliyah's remains were transported back home on August 28th, with the rest of the victims returning the following day. Virgin Records claimed to pay for all of the mortuary fees, return flights, and funerals. I would hope so, or at least the airline itself offered. Okay, apparently at least 500 bouquets of flowers were brought mostly by hand to the Trump Hotel in New York where Elliot's family was staying Mm. um, during this whole time. So now on to the investigation. The coroner in the Bahamas found that Aaliyah died from severe burns and a blow to the head. Was the blow to the head from, like, the crash happening or, like, debris hitting her? I, or both? I don't Probably know. It was just both. blunt trauma. Just such a violent yeah. I mean, wreck. Yeah. 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 So he also said that she suffered from severe shock and a weak heart. So basically, like, she wouldn't have survived anyways because she was frozen in shock. But I didn't know you could just, like pull that in an autopsy be like oh she she was shocked i like, tried no shit she was in yeah. a plane crash like, i tried to google this and it got too scientific so like the basis <laughs> i found was like i imagine they could obviously see that her heart was weak like they could diagnose like oh like it might have had a lot of stress like you can see that if you're she was in a plane crash right like what the fuck um i don't know but the trauma and the condition of the heart it was in could have also been found you know during that time but like to equate it to shock i mean like that's an obvious yes it's a very shocking experience to be in a plane crash like what are you even talking about well i think what they're they're on about is that she may have already had a some sort of congenital heart disease or something going on with her heart that she didn't know about way beforehand I have a quote here from Healthline.com about shock. Um, Your body experiences shock when you don't have enough blood circulating through your system to keep organs and tissues functioning properly. It can be caused by any injury or condition that affects the flow of blood through your body. Uh, Shock can lead to multiple organ failures as well as life-threatening complications. So if she had a heart condition before she got on the plane... She got the shock of, oh, my God, we're falling out of the sky. She right. probably could have had, like, some kind of heart attack or something, and she would have died of that anyways. I, I think that's what they were getting at there. And mm-hmm. I, I you can, when you do autopsies and you, you know, you open mm-hmm. them up and look at their heart, you can see defects, like, if it's enlarged or if there's something wrong with the arteries. So that's yeah. what well, he's identifying okay. there. So here's where the weight distribution and stuff comes into play the maximum takeoff weight of the cessna was exceeded by a whopping 700 pounds okay like i said the pilot should have known this was a bad idea but again as a private airline do they not have to weigh before they leave the air i mean it's pretty infuriating to know this i don't know i i don't know if they have anything to weigh it with i think they have like a general idea just Maybe by looking at it, like this is too many people. People weigh right. generally weigh this much or something like that. But uh, mm-hmm. they might just eyeball it for something small like that. Maybe. Well, I think you still have to get your luggage and stuff weighed. I don't oh, know. Oh, they do. They do that at the terminal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you oh, okay. I got uh, some info here on that particular plane. The four hundred two B has an empty weight of four thousand thirty eight pounds. A uh, maximum gross weight of sixty three hundred pounds. That's passengers, fuel, luggage, and everything. And it said they were about 700 pounds over. So they're at 7,000 pounds when they try to take off. Um, the National Transportation Safety Board noted that the airplane lifted off and then it took a nosedive landing in a marsh and huge bombshell. Turns out the pilot wasn't Ugh. legally certified to fly. Um, I had a little bit of faith in this guy at first, but mm. wait till you hear this. Um, he had falsified documents to get his Federal Aviation Administration license. He logged hundreds of fake hours. Well, well, well. Yeah. <laughs> Plot twist. Um, he also seemed like a good guy at the beginning. Like you said, I was not expecting this to happen. So this guy's employers, this is like, I guess, not the airline or I don't know what you would call it. They were Blackhawk International Airways charter plane company i guess and they also 
were lied to about how many hours this guy had flown. Plus, um, he had coke and alcohol in his system <laughs> at the time of death. Good old whiskey and coke. <laughs> oh, you meant cocaine. Coke, cocaine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, what in the fuck? You're, you're flying a plane. Yeah, out of Miami. True. Good point. <laughs> Morales had been, uh, he'd apparently been interested in flying for his whole life. He looked up to his grandfather, who actually was a commercial pilot. Morales did have some formal training. He got his pilot's license in 2000, but he still didn't have enough hours to be a commercial pilot. On August 1st, like literally that month um, before the flight, he had been arrested for a traffic infraction. I think this was in Miami where they found mm. crack in his car. He was charged with a felony. He was driving with a suspended license and he got pulled over for running a stop sign. <laughs> so, and he said what they always say that the Coke was his friends. Uh, another popular one to tell the cops is these aren't my pants. <laughs> not my chair, not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so he, this literally happened the same month. He was sentenced to probation on August 13th. So tell me why he was allowed to fly and leave the country. So if he was falsifying documents, he probably wasn't telling the truth about like when or where, if he was even going anywhere. We yeah. know that people have gotten away with like leaving the state on probation. Right. We talked about that with Mindy McCready. We mm -hmm. also know from personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> so did her family not like, did she, they, they didn't feel like they had to sue Blackhawk International or did they not background check him at all? We'll get to it. So that <laughs> and they should have obviously been drug testing. As, right. So yeah. how? How? Yeah. There's a whole this? lot of lawsuits that followed this whole thing. Um, so the investigation found that the center of gravity on the plane was thrown off by the amount of extra weight. Mm -hmm. The center of gravity was, quote, significantly outside the flight envelope past the aft center of gravity. What is that? So what that means is... <laughs> Uh, they have this flight envelope from, sorry, airplane nerds out there, if I get this wrong, this flight envelope is like the sweet spot where you want your center of gravity. So you picture the fuselage of the airplane, you got the wings and you got the tail section. You want your center of gravity to be somewhere within <laughs> this imaginary envelope. Mm -hmm. It's at the front? You want your center of gravity oh, in a specific yeah. spot or it will severely affect the handling of the airplane. So this one says it was significantly outside the flight envelope past the aft center of gravity. So aft being the rear, the center of gravity was so far towards the back of the plane that it just threw it off kilter. Oh, okay. it, it, the center of gravity was not within that envelope that it was supposed to be in. Hmm. In addition to all of the problems with this whole flight and crash, Blackhawk was a big sham too. They had four previous violations with the FAA and just three you know, the previous three years for violating safety rules, not drug testing and not complying with maintenance standards. So exactly what you had said earlier. No, they did not drug test this guy. Great. Not to mention that their CEO, Gilbert Chacon, he was involved in bankruptcy fraud. Um, that doesn't really have to do with the crash, but shows you we're dealing with some shady people here. So Elia's parents filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Blackhawk settling out of court. Other families of the deceased also filed lawsuits against Virgin Records for being negligent in the chartering and chartering that aircraft. How are they supposed to know? They're responsible though. Like they they were the ones who got the plane. Yeah. And if they knew that there were going to be eight people, they should have chartered a different fucking airplane. Yeah, you you'd think like, Virgin ac accommodate them. You, well, you would have thought Virgin would have vetted the company, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I see how they they are, in a way, responsible. I mean, that that is negligent. They just didn't consider how many people. And these they, they're just showing up to the airport like, all right, here's the plane that the record company got us. Virgin was called out for putting profits over people. And many decided that they should be held liable for the deaths. Aaliyah's parents also sued Virgin. Yeah, it doesn't make sense not to protect the people who are making your money for you. Yeah, right. Like like I said a second ago, they should have vetted the the airplane company. And right. Had... Same with Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Like, exactly. Come on, why is the label getting them this shitty airplane? Yeah, stop being cheap. Do your job, and yeah, these people can keep making money for you. It's like... not something to mess with. It's just ridiculous. Um, and remember how he said that Virgin claimed to have paid the mortuary fees in the Bahamas and everything? Yeah. In August of 2002, a year after the crash, the funeral home in the Bahamas accused Virgin of not paying their $68,000 bill. 
Uh, turns mm. out that the executives who were in charge when the statement was made had already left the label and the label did not feel compelled to honor that agreement. Cute. I mean, if it was a contracted agreement, they would have still been held liable. Did they not? They didn't write it down, did they? I don't think. Yeah. I don't think they did legal stuff. They just said, I think, in a statement, like, we're going to cover everything. And they're like, okay, but where's our money? Like, you weren't going to pay us for that? Because they had to rush to get everything done, too. I mean, this was like nine people that had just been killed. And they and they were like, okay, we need to get, you know, this is a high profile case, like, get this shit done now yeah it was super expensive the mortuary worker refused to give up the death certificates until their bills were paid meaning that no estates could be settled or lawsuits filed until they paid the 68k after Leah's death the sales of her third album skyrocketed it caused the album to hit number one which was the first time that had happened after an artist's death since john lennon was killed in 1980 Um, The album remained on the charts for 68 weeks. The album also returned to the charts once more after Universal released this single More Than a Woman in January of 2002, and that single hit number one. Yeah, and although her time on Earth was shortened by this tragic event, Aaliyah's impact on contemporary pop music still remains to this day. And I found a really cool write-up on theboombox.com that explained very eloquently this impact and why she, we shouldn't be asking ourselves kind of like a what if Aaliyah was still alive today. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read a little bit of that. So it's paraphrased. Don't get mad at me. Uh, we shouldn't treat her body of work like it's abbreviated simply because of her tragic passing. We shouldn't ignore her body of work that impacted a generation of artists who emerge after that. Journalist Todd Williams then goes on to explain that there was a commentary surrounding Aaliyah stating that her music legacy wasn't all that when she was alive, which is like messed up. But other people were doing amazing things in the 90s. However, Williams counter argument was that obviously Aaliyah isn't Beyonce. You can't dismiss her or forget what she was. Mm -hmm. She was a seminal figure. And most importantly, you'd have to ignore all that she is today if you were just going to say, oh, well, she wasn't doing that great. Uh, Brandy and Monica today aren't the hit makers they were back in the day. I don't know if you listen to either Monica. of them. Monica, the boy is mine. Come on. You didn't listen to 90s R&B. Get out of here. <laughs> All right. Sorry. So TLC can thrive on that nostalgic circuit as we know they're still touring. Yeah. So Aaliyah is forever Aaliyah. And over the past several years, you can see how much she has impacted this particular era of R&B singers, which is why I did add some of these musicians to this week's playlist. So you could hear how she impacted them. Um, some of the most famous musicians even today. So Beyonce's on there. Sierra, Missy nice. Elliott. There's it's weird. Al. Like throwback jams. Weird <laughs> Al is not weird. on it. Oh, come on. What song what, did he what cover? Would he, where would he fit in? Yeah. He parodied uh, not to promote r kelly's music but he did parody oh, right. the uh trapped in the drive-thru that's what he it's a 12 minute song about weird al going to the drive-thru to <laughs> r kelly's music it's fucking hilarious i love it i love it but yeah fuck r kelly he's a little bitch <laughs> um <laughs> and <Shut up. laughs> it's not true <laughs> but yeah um okay so that is the story of Aaliyah. really f- tragic really sad i mean knowing that they were like arguing about the whole plane thing and then getting on it and not even i mean they didn't even get up in the air and for the crash to be that bad and this one really made me think too because this one was like fiery um how remember in the leonard skinner episode we said that the whole reason why that crash wasn't as bad and why so many people did survive is because they didn't have fuel. Mm-hmm. So this plane was fully fueled up because they're about to fly. Yeah. They just barely the got off the runway. Yeah. Fully loaded. I met an old man, Frank, at a bar in Ohio. We started talking about plane crashes. Sure. And I, we had just done the Leonard as Skinner any episode. Good stranger will. And um, he told me that he was on Oprah because he was so scared of flying. So in 1989, he took this, um, it was like a fearful flyers course with, I think it was like American Airlines or something. And they had 15 people who were terrified of flying. And then they did this whole like class with them. And then to graduate from the class, everybody <laughs> flew on a plane and they made everybody like come to Chicago and then they had to fly on a plane to Grand Rapids. And so they take this final flight to Grand Rapids and the chick next to him was like I don't know in her 20s or something he was like you know she was reasonably attractive and once the plane got to Grand Rapids they couldn't land immediately and the pilot had to come on and be like hey guys um we're gonna be kind of flying in circles for a little bit because we 
missed our time to land or whatever so then yeah, everyone on the plane stay. started freaking out because they were like oh no are they just are they bullshitting us or, or are they just doing this to see like be like haha psych well if you miss it yeah you don't want to get in other planes paths because they're supposed to come in at a certain time and you don't right. want to crash to happen. yeah so they just had to keep circling oh, and they were goodness. like they're 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 just fucking with us like this isn't real um and they were like no this is actually real and it's fine everything's fine we just have to kind of circle around a couple more times sure. before we can so land. why was this guy on oprah um because the, she did a whole like segment there was a plane crash that happened that year and so all these people were freaking out and she did a whole segment on people who were scared of flying but anyways the woman was sitting next to him <laughs> and she started losing her shit once they were like we can't land sure. and he put his arm around her to comfort her and he was like and i knew that I wasn't scared of flying anymore because in that moment I got an erection. <laughs> I was like, Frank, why are you telling me this? He was like, you know, when you're scared and you're you're deathly afraid of something, yeah, your blood's your body's, flowing elsewhere. Your body's not <laughs> like your your responses, your bodily responses don't happen. And he was like, but I got a heart on and I knew that I was no longer scared of flying. I was like, well, that's a lovely ending to the story, Frank. Thank you so much. Okay. Um okay we're gonna take a two-week break <laughs> Again? Now i have to think about it's frank after, the whole time it's after this so everybody think about frank's dick and um <laughs> we will be back on august 18th with an episode on jerry garcia make sure that you guys subscribe to our patreon if you are feeling like you're lacking material for the next two weeks we will still be doing the mini episodes of course but we have two episodes currently published on our patreon robert johnson and the first part of kurt cobain second part is coming out shortly um, and I think that's it. Follow us on social media. If you want a t-shirt, send us a message. And rest in peace. Bye. Later. Music by Demons at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.